So this morning, brothers and sisters, we get to hear from God through John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. We live in a day and age like any other day and age of confusion. And so as biblical Christians submitting to the word, we want to be men and women of clarity. You are here in this room today because you have submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you love his bride, the church. And as I look across this room, I see men and women who are committed to the bride. And who are going to serve her in countless and different ways. And what a gift of God. That he has led us by his spirit to serve his bride. And so this morning, as we come to John 18, 33, we want to be men and women of clarity of mind. So that we might have our own hearts clear. That we might have clarity for discipleship and that we might have clarity for apologetics in this world. And in John chapter 18, Jesus gives us in this account with Pilate something we must be utterly clear on and ready to display to the world. And that is this, that with great joy we get to declare we have a king who has a kingdom. And this king reigns over all other kings and this kingdom reigns over all other kingdoms. And so ever so briefly this morning, I want you to be reminded again, convinced again of your king, his nature and his work, of his kingdom, its nature and its work. And we're going to see all of that from the text before us this morning. So turn your eyes again to John chapter 18 and begin with me in verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again And he called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And so now, why are we here this morning? Why is Jesus called into the hall before Pilate? Well, if you'll remember back in Luke chapter 23, in verses 1 and 2, the Jews give two reasons why Jesus needs to be before Pilate. And what are they? But ever so clearly, first, the Jews said that Jesus was forbidding us to give tribute to who? To Caesar. That was their complaint against Jesus. He won't let us give tribute to Caesar. And second, in Luke 23, the Jews said that this Jesus was saying of himself, ready, that he is Christ the king. And so there's the complaint. The Jewish leaders come before the Roman leaders and say, you need to hear from this man because he won't give honor to Caesar and he is claiming a kingdom and a kingship. So Pontius Pilate, he's paying attention. He's been put in a position of authority and power and he exists to put things like this down. Can you almost hear it click in Pilate's head? This is a relevant Jewish squabble to me. But if you're going to say there's a man claiming kingship who will not give honor to Caesar, all of a sudden this comes into my realm of authority. All of a sudden I need to investigate because these things cannot mix with my reign and with my rule. So now look at what Pilate says. You see it in verse 33. Art thou the king of the Jews? So he gets, he gets right to it, and he asks him the question, Are you the king of the Jews? Look at Jesus' answer in verse 34. Jesus answered him, saith, Thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it thee of me? What is Jesus doing? But he's going right at the heart of Pilate. What's your motive here, Pilate? 
Are you simply repeating what you heard others say? Or Pilate, are you making a declarative statement of what is true? And make no mistake, Pilate has zero interest in being probed intellectually right now. And Jesus is saying, I need to know what you declare, O leader who I stand in front of. But Pilate, not looking to be searched at all, responds in verse 35. What does he say? But Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? You hear it? Pilate dismisses the question as not worthy of a response. Am I a Jew? Do you not know my position and who you're speaking to? This matter of your people, this problem, don't drag this little squabble in front of my authority in my presence. I dismiss this as beneath me. So now Jesus, our Lord and Savior, responds in verse 36. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight that I should not be delivered over to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Did you hear it three times? My kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom. What is Jesus declaring? So many people want to be unclear about the declarative statements of Jesus. But right here, three times in the negative, he's saying, I, I don't have a kingdom like this. But make no mistake, I do have a kingdom. Jesus declares that he is king. But notice, what does he say? My kingdom is not. Three times. The ESV translates it, of this world, of this world, and from this world, in that translation. John Calvin, working through the Gospel of John, gets to this section. And he pauses here in just just amazement as he's writing through his commentary. And he stops and he says this. For if the kingdom of Christ were earthly, its nature, it would be, ready, frail and changeable. Calvin is saying, look, if the nature of his kingdom, he just said it, he's a king. If it were of earth, then it must be by nature frail and changeable. Why? Calvin adds this line. Because the fashion of this world passes away. Calvin is saying, if Jesus is a mere man, and he's making a declaration that this mere man is a king who has a kingdom, then if he's just a man, by nature of what it means to be human in this broken world, his kingdom that he's declaring is frail and is changeable. Meaning it cannot withstand and it's going to evolve. But listen to what Calvin says based on this line. He says, but now, since it is pronounced to be heavenly, it's not of this world, this assures us of its perpetuity. What is Calvin saying? 
What a glorious declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a king. He has a kingdom. But its source, its origin, is not of his own doing. It's not a worldly creation. It is heavenly. And therefore, it is guaranteed eternal security because it's tied to what's eternal. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And Calvin is saying this is a massive declaration on the kingship and kingdom of Christ. And so as Christians, biblical Christians, we want to be absolutely clear on these points. Jesus is not playing a semantic game with Pilate. He is making declarative statements about the nature of his kingship and his kingdom. Now, how would we take this and go out into our relationships and go into the pew in our churches and go to our places of employment and talk to our believing neighbors and our unbelieving neighbors. No Christian jargon. What do you mean when you say your king has a kingdom? How would you answer that question? I'm going to offer to you a a very popular definition. It's not mine. You've probably heard this already. But what is the kingship of Jesus, the kingship of God? It is that he has a reign and a rule. That is how I would articulate it to somebody, that God has a reign and a rule. And that's good. That is a helpful definition of the kingdom and kingship of God. That is a common way to phrase it. But what does that mean? How would you go to a fifth grader who says, what does it mean, Daddy, that we have a king in Jesus and that he has a kingdom? How would you articulate that to him or to her? Well, we could take the kingdom has a reign and a rule, and we could break that down in one more step to be clear. When we see that God has a reign, what do we mean? But that he has an authority over us. And when we say that he has a rule, what do we mean by that? But we mean that he provides order for our lives. The reign and the rule comes from an authority and brings an order. That's what we're declaring as Christians. And listen, that's not a new concept to our world. Just consider in our, in our government situation, we got a new administration in the executive branch. They come in with an authority given by our system of election. And the most recent administration now in the executive branch has said, we have an authority, and that authority allows us to govern, to set order. And as a society, what have we seen? But prolonged discussions now around gender-preferred pronouns. Why? Because our current authority desires a particular order, and that order filters itself down in tangible, practical ways into your life that you're talking about gender pronouns now in day-to-day existence. Why? Because authority sets order, and it filters into life. And this is not a new concept for Christians or for the world, but we understand, yes, there is an authority, and there is an order, and it's Jesus. Now, notice what Jesus does with that authority and with that order. He says, Pilate, it's not like yours. And what is the primary difference from the text that Jesus highlights about the nature of his kingdom? Do you see it in verse 36? He says this, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay, Jesus, give me an example. If my kingdom were of this world... Then would my servants fight. Remember that? John 18, verse 10. How'd that go for Peter? 
Peter, as we know, is all in on all things, and they come to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter sees the kingdom of Christ being challenged, and what does he do? But Peter, as quick as can be, grabs that sword, gets it out, and cuts off the ear of a man trying to arrest Jesus. Now, if we know anything about Peter, do you think he was so skilled that he intentionally got an ear shot off? What was Peter doing? He's going for the head. He's going for the kill. He missed. He got the ear. And what does Jesus say in that moment? No. My kingdom's origin is not like the origin of Rome. It's not of this world. Peter, put away the sword. I don't reign and rule like this. And our Lord Jesus Christ reaches down, picks up that ear, and heals the man who desires to challenge and arrest him. Jesus is saying with absolute clarity to Peter and his disciples and to us, my kingdom is not of the power and structures of the world. And so if that's what it's not, can you paint for me what it is? Where would you go if somebody came to you and said, okay, so you're a Christian, you have a king, and you have a kingdom, and you rejoice in that. Tell me the positive. What is it about? Where would you go? Well, I hope this morning you would say rather quickly, I'd go to Romans. I'd go to the Apostle Paul. I would join with him in Romans 14, verse 17. And if I had to positively articulate the kingdom of God, I would say this. For the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That you this morning, with a positive affirmation, can say, I have a king, he has a kingdom, and do you want to know what it's like? Well, first and foremost, it's not just meat and drink. It's not just the everyday material things. Although it includes that, it is not founded on that. What is it founded on? First, righteousness. Pilate would be right there with you saying, what is righteousness but whatever Caesar says? And you would be right there with him saying, no, no, no. Righteous means to know true holiness and purity as from the Father. And then it says, the kingdom is of peace. And Pilate would be right there with you saying, what is peace but what my army can accomplish? And you would say, Pilate, you don't know peace. Peace doesn't come from a Roman army. It comes from being right with the holiness of God. And then you'd be right there with Pilate and you'd say, it's a kingdom of joy. And Pilate would say, you know what joy is? conquering my enemies and consuming their things. And you would say, no, 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 joy, Pilate, is adoption in the spirit as a son and daughter of God. That's joy, Pilate. We have a righteousness and a peace and a joy that no king and no kingdom can ever match in this world. That's what we declare as Christians. That's what we hold out to a world of utter confusion. And now listen to how Pilate responds in verse 37. Pilate, therefore, said unto him, Art thou a king then? See his answer? Still got the question mark on it. Pilate, what's with the question mark hanging on everything you're asking? What's with the indifference on your searching of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you not impressed? Answer, no. He's not impressed. Listen to what Jesus answers with. Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. 
And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Did you hear it there? Three observations. Jesus, right back to Pilate, says, for this purpose. Pilate, I'm not here on my own account. I didn't just wander and happen to get myself into this situation. Pilate, there is a purpose behind all this. Pilate, just as much as you have a purpose for being here, put here by the Roman government, I have a greater purpose. And that is what? But to display and bear witness to the truth. Jesus is saying to Pilate, my kingdom's nature is one of what is true. Pilate, my kingdom is not one of the endless question mark. My kingdom is knowable and searchable and something you can build a life on. And Pilate, I'm standing here right now in your midst to bear witness to what is true. And then look at what he tacks on at the end here. And everyone who is of the truth, what? Listens to my voice. You hear John 10, 27 in the background there? But my sheep, what? My sheep listen to my voice. And Pilate is hearing Jesus, the embodiment of truth, say these things, and he's not hearing it. Why? Because he's not of this king. And he's not of this kingdom. Pilate has a completely different lens for what is true. So listen to verse 38 in this sobering line. Pilate saith unto him, ready? What is truth? What did Pilate just do right there in that moment? But he dismisses the whole thing out of hand. Pilate is not interested whatsoever in having a philosophical understanding of truth there. He's dismissing the Lord Jesus Christ. He has searched the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has found him absolutely lacking and wanting. Pilate has heard him say what he said. And Pilate knows, I, I can't tack this guy into my life. I can't submit to his lunacy. What is truth? I'm dismissing all of this. Now, I just want to pause for a moment right here in this moment. Pilate dismisses Jesus with those famous words, what is truth? But I want to ask you, how would you answer that question? If you were given the opportunity in the clearest possible terms to say to somebody, what is truth? Where would you go? And I mean this, formulate in your head, what is your answer? Would you get into a psychological discussion with somebody around the nature of truth? Would you decide to engage a philosophical understanding of the nature of truth? Where would you go someone, as someone who delights in the Lord Jesus Christ, as your king, who oversees the kingdom, what would you say to someone like Pilate? And my hope is this morning, as men and women, as children of the king, we, we would believe what I'm about to say, and we would teach and disciple and evangelize in these avenues. Where would you go well, I pray that you'd go to the Trinity, that you would start out as Trinitarian Christian. You say, what is truth? I'll tell you a truth. I'll declare what truth is. I'll take the question marks off of that. I will give you an exclamation mark. You want to know what truth is? It's the Father. God the Father is truth. When he makes a vow with Abraham and he confirms his covenant promises in Genesis 15, God declares that he is truth. 
Psalm 43, verse 3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. The psalmist is saying, when I look at the Father, He is of light and He is of truth. And so as Christians, what is truth? God the Father is truth. And then right there, could you join in front of Pilate and say, and not only God the Father, but we're Trinitarian. So Jesus, John 14, declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life. What is truth? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then could you right there with the Father and the Son say, and there's more, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit in John 14 again, but it's called the Spirit of what? Truth. The Trinity in their essence in being is a Trinitarian relationship before the foundation of the world with no creation of perfect truth that emanates from them. We don't just pick up truth in the world, but see a Trinitarian truth of all existence. And then could you say to Pilate, and not only is a Trinity truth, but they have provided truth in Scripture John 17, verse 17, if you back up just a little bit, Jesus is praying with his disciples, and what does he say for his disciples? For you and I. But he says, sanctify them in what? Truth. He says so clearly, your word is truth. As biblical Christians, we look at the Trinity and we see truth, and we see the Trinity, Theanustoth, God breathed out truth in Scripture to govern and guide our lives. We are people of truth. And then you know what else we get to say? And not only is the Trinity true and Scripture true to build our lives and order our lives, but this Trinitarian God reveals that there is something that is not truth. John 8, the same gospel in verse 44, declares what about Satan? That Satan is called the liar. He is called not in the truth. And then he is called the penultimate father of lies. So not only can we say what is true, we can say what is not true. We can say that from God's essence comes truth and from Satan comes all counterfeit. For he is not of the truth. He can only twist and distort the God of truth temporarily until he is fully vanquished. And so as biblical Christians, we get to come here and say, we delight in a trinity of truth. Now look at what Pilate does in response in verse 38. And when he had said this, he went outside again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find no fault at all. See what he does here? This guy? I assessed him. I am not impressed, and I am not concerned. Now notice, Pilate doesn't go out and say to the crowd, listen, I assessed him, and he doesn't make those claims. You're having a miscommunication here. He doesn't claim to be a king. He doesn't claim to have a kingdom. Pilate doesn't say any of that. Pilate simply dismisses him. He is not worthy of this consideration. He is found wanting. He is lacking. But brothers and sisters, what we get to delight in and what we get to declare in light of John 18 is this. Where Pilate found no guilt in him, we look at him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as Christians, we find everything that is good and true and beautiful in him. 
And we get to declare not to dismiss him, but to bring him in as the center of all things and to have him exalted, seated on a throne, reigning and ruling over all things with an authority and a governance that is matched by none. That's who we get to be in this world. And we get to declare it with joy and conviction that truth is knowable. And so all that the world would see in us and our day-to-day lives, men and women who are fixated on the authority of Christ, captivated by Christ, impressed by Christ, convinced of Christ, obeying Christ, resting in Christ, and worshiping Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who we are now because of His reign and because of His rule. And Pilate walks away from all of this. Now, did you notice where this is happening? Go back to verse 33. The King James puts it this way, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall. Some translations say the the, the royal headquarters, if you will, the royal residence. Jesus is with Pilate in the royal residence. And Pilate, the, the Roman authority, is looking at Jesus and finding him lacking. Now, just consider this. 300 years from now, there's going to be the Edict of Milan. And Constantine's going to come along, and there's going to be the proclamation of establishing religious tolerance in regards to the Christians. They're going to get a a little little protected status. Don't get me wrong, because they didn't have it all figured out. They weren't biblical Christians. But Christianity was going to get a better standing because of the Edict of Milan. So Pilate's authority comes from where? But from Rome and from Caesar. And now 300 years from now, that Rome and those Caesars coming from that Caesar are declaring in Edith Milan, the Christians, at the minimum, leave them alone. No more just dismissing them. No more harassing them. They, they get a bit of a status. And then just a little while later in the Edict of Thessalonica, February 27, AD 380, what happens? But the reigning Roman emperors come along and say, it's not just enough to be nice to them. But we actually have to affirm Nicene Christianity. The Arians, unacceptable. And make no mistake, the Roman world had a lot of mixed motives. But in 380, the Roman world and the Roman authority is arguing the nuances of truth according to the Nicene Creed. Pilate's authority, 300 years later, is arguing this. And here Pilate stands face to face with Jesus. And in this moment, with the truth in front of him, he dismisses Jesus. Pilate, by all accounts, goes on to die via suicide. Pilate's kingdom falls. Why? Because it's of the earth. And Jesus of heavenly kingship endures. And that kingdom will reign and rule forever. The origin of your kingdom changes everything. Now let's just apply this ever so practically. Later this afternoon, after we're done here, I'm going to have lunch with with a dear friend. A dear friend that I absolutely love. We're meeting because he wants to talk about his same-sex attraction. And he wants to sit down and talk about his heart in this. He wants to talk about his desires in this. He wants to talk again about his weariness and having these conflicted emotions in his same-sex attraction. And he wants to sit down and talk about what is true 
in all of this. This is a relationship that we have walked for at least 10 years at this point. And so he is coming today to lunch, and he wants to know what my biblical perspective with this NB. He disagrees with me on a lot of things, but he knows that I'm committed to the Word, I'm committed to the kingship of Jesus, and even though he disagrees, I want to hear again, Jeremy, what does the king of the kingdom have to say about this? He's going to come to me with an article today. There's a recent article on a major news organization that was shared yesterday, and this is the article he wants to talk to. Listen to this quote. Though there are many executive orders right now around transgender athletes, these executive orders reference the supposed harms of the participation of, quote, males in women athletics. This is an echo of transphobic claims. Ready for the transphobic claim? Cited in other legislation initiatives that transgender women, here's the transphobic claim, are not women. It's transphobic to say that. The orders also reference biological sex, ready? Which is a disputed term that refers to the sex as listed on students' original birth certificates. You hear the argument our culture is making? Now ready for this sentence. It is not possible to know a person's gender identity at birth. See the switch there? Now they're talking identity. Not biological, but identity. And are ready for this line. And there is no consensus criteria for assigning sex at birth, meaning your doctor has no right to say the biological gender of a child at birth. This was in yesterday's major news publication. And this dear friend of mine is going to sit down today at lunch and he's going to have this culture pressing into him. He's going to have his desires raging within him all over the place. And he's going to look at me, and he's going to look at you as children of the king, and he's going to ask this question, where do I go with this? Culture tells me I am personally autonomous and can make my decisions. My desires tell me to seek what my desires want. Where are you going to go with them? You are a man or a woman of the truth. You have a king and you have a kingdom. How do you make that bear out in his life? And here's my prayer is what you would do with him. You would have John 18 right there in your mind, and you would cover all kinds of ground with him. You'd listen to every criticism. You would weep with him. You would care with him. You would walk this road year after year with him. But where would you ultimately go? You would say, brother, I'm... I'm the son of the king. I have a king who has a kingdom, and therefore it is his authority and it is his order over my life. And so here's, brother, where I want to lead you first. Do you know that you have a God who is a father of truth? And this God who is a God of truth is a good God. That is his nature. Second, do you know that Jesus is the truth? And this Jesus lived and loved and sacrificed himself out of obedience to the authority and order of the Father. Look at Jesus. Look at how he lived. Everything he did was to the authority and order set by the Father. That's how he found the life to live. Third, my dear friend, there is a Holy Spirit who applies truth. 
He will strengthen you and he will cause you to endure. And my dear friend, there are scriptures that are theanustos. God breathed from the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they are wise, they are authoritative, and they will cause you to delight in the person of the Father, Son, and Spirit and direct your life. And so while we can talk about all the details, while we can criticize all these articles, while we can belittle and get after the things that our culture is doing, the framework I want for this friend is the Trinity and the Trinity of truth. And as he walks this word, this, this ride, I'm going to continually call him back to what? Who's the king? It's either the Trinity or it's something else. And not only who is the king, but how does this king play out in your life? So my dear friend, you've got to pick a reign and a rule. And I'm going to plead with you to pick the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. For their authority is eternal and their order is actually good. And therefore, we have a better king than Caesar. We have a better king than our present day culture. And my dear friend, we have a better king than your personal autonomy and the desires of your heart. We have King Jesus. And let him reign and rule with authority and order over every aspect of your life. For when you submit to Jesus as king, you find life. And then you pay for the bill. And then you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you preach it to yourself. And you preach it to the world. And you declare that there is one king who is wise and good. And it's not us. It's Jesus. So Pilate said unto him, What is truth? Brothers and sisters, we are men and women with joy who get to declare what is truth? It's the Father. It's the Son. And it's the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we can only be those people by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. So Father, we pray that we would first and foremost, before we ever open our mouth to the world, that we would be in this position. That every heart in this room would be submitted to the kingship of Jesus. And not just submitted, but delighting, experiencing what it means to have his order over our lives. And then, Father, from that position, we pray that we would see countless men and women freed from the bondage of Satan and sin and death, from the bondage of our own hearts and our own desires. Lord, that your Spirit would work in and through us to see redemption and to see men and women declare that Jesus is Lord and Savior through repentance and faith. Father, thank you that you delight to free us from bondage of sin and Satan that you delight to bring about new hearts in us, that the Holy Spirit desires to teach us all truth. So, Father, we pray that we would continue to walk in that relationship with your Spirit, that in our humble obedience by the Spirit, you would be honored, that you would look down and delight in your children, the very temples of the Spirit. And, Father, that your most holy, glorious name would be magnified in our lives, that you would delight as your boys and girls, your sons and daughters walk in the truth. Father, we pray this in your most holy name. Amen.